In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies, it is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a lifelong UFO experiencer recalls his chilling encounter with an alien-human hybrid. She said, we were supposed to meet. I said, we were supposed to meet? She goes, yes, we're supposed to meet. I said, who are you? And then she told me my name's Hiroko. I said, well, I'm Dave. Hi. It started raining. So we got in my car, and after we got in the car, there was another car that pulled up just the parking space over from me. And this was kind of a mysterious uh, young guy. He must have been in his late 20s, had close cropped hair, and he had a headset on. He kind of looked like CIA or FBI type person. He didn't look at me. He did not turn his head one time and look, look at me. Have you ordered your bottle of Carbon 60 yet? The mighty Aphrodite and I have been taking a tablespoon of this miracle molecule suspended in olive oil for a few months now. 
we're taking the purest form of C60. It's called ESS60, and it's produced by our friends at C60Evo.com. C60 in oil is a powerful antioxidant that moves through the body like a magnet to attract and neutralize free radicals. It can slow down aging and reduce cellular damage. C60 can improve the immune system and reduce inflammation naturally. Often we hear about improved vision and substantially keener mental focus. The mighty Aphrodite and I are sleeping much better. We're both pain-free, no joint stiffness or back pain. And that's why I call Carbon 60 the miracle molecule. It's great for us humans and it's great for our pets. To order, go to c60evo.com. That's c60evo.com slash ref slash rs1. Again, to order your bottle of ESS60, go to c60evo.com slash R-E-F-R-S-1. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Dave Emmons is standing by to discuss his remarkable life, his remarkable experiences, which began early in life with his first sighting of a UFO and his eventual encounter with Hiroko, a woman he met in Sedona, Arizona, he believes was an alien-humid hybrid. Before we get to that, just a reminder that I'm sitting in for George Norrie this coming Friday, Feb 14th, on Coast to Coast AM, and then I'll be hosting Coast again on Saturday, February the 15th. Go to coasttocoastam.com, click on Media, and then click on Local Stations to find a radio station in your area that carries this wonderful overnight program. I also want to give a plug for my two boys podcast. It's called Buds and Bros Sports Show. You can find it on Podbean, and it's available on Apple Podcasts as well. Buds, that's B-U-D-D-S, as in buddies, and bros, B-R-O-S. Buds and Bros Sports Show. And uh, North and Zach work very hard on it. New episodes drop every Wednesday. They're so good. They're funny and charming and very clever. They didn't get any of that from me. (laughs) Anyway, please, please have a listen. Dave Emmons is retired now, but has had a long and varied career, having served in the U.S. Army as a combat leader in Vietnam. He was also involved in top-secret nuclear weapons training. Then, after leaving the Army with an honorable discharge, he worked as an electrician. He managed several small businesses. He was a musician in a family band for over 45 years. He worked in the oil business. His UFO and ET experiences began at the age of 14. Dave Emmons, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I am fine, Richard. Thank you for inviting me on, and uh, I look forward to doing the show with you. And uh, really, really glad to be here. You have quite a resume. A tour in Vietnam. You worked in uh, radio. You owned a restaurant, a nightclub. You worked in an oil refinery. 
worked as a shelter and disaster manager for the Red Cross. My word, you've really lived, haven't you? Yes, I've I've lived and worked, as you could say, uh, see there. And also, uh, they cleared the top secret up. I I was in the top secret uh, uh, class in uh, in Huntsville, Alabama, and that was with the U.S. Army. And I started there because I guess I tested very high. I was in a class with about 15 people, and most of them had master's degrees, and myself and another guy had high school diplomas. So we. We had to try harder, and which I did. I had an 89% average, but I didn't like the military intelligence people coming by every Saturday in a little meeting room giving us cigarettes and, and soda and stuff like that. Back then, that stuff was legal, <laughs> cigarettes and soda. But uh, we, we, they, we were asked a lot of questions about uh, what did we tell our parents, uh, what are we telling people. I said nothing. You guys told me not to say nothing, so I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> so I, but I got tired of that after about eight or nine weeks, and I had another month or so to go to class, and they were going to ship us out to uh, out to Sandia in a basement out there somewhere. So I was 19 going on 20. I didn't want that, so I dropped out of the class. I had to get a post-chaplain uh, to do that for me. Then I uh, went to Vietnam. I become a platoon sergeant there, and I come back. Uh, before I exited the army on a on an honorable discharge, so they asked me uh, they was going to give me a field commission. So I had a good I had a good service uh, for three years, and I I enjoyed that uh, at, at the end of it. But it was scary uh, in combat. But no, it's uh, I've yeah I've done a little bit of everything, Richard, as you say, and I I, I guess I'm well rounded, and uh, I, I I the experiences have been really. I think that's really great for me now because I can actually throw all those experiences together and try to figure out what's truth and what's not truth since I've seen a lot of different things. Right. Take me back to uh, your uh, your teenage years. You were 14. You saw your first UFO. Yes, I was 14, and this was 1963, so I'm a young guy. Uh, but I uh, was with my uh, good buddy, and we were sitting on his steps that led into his basement apartment with him and his dad where they lived. And we was drinking Pepsi in glass bottles. That'll age me right there also. <laughs> we were listening to the 10 transistor radio, and that'll also age me. Yes. But uh, it was the radio started snapping and popping while we were sitting there. He was 13. He was just a little younger than me. Uh, and he's a little bit smaller than me, but a very smart guy. He went on to be a police chief and all this other stuff, masters and everything. But he's, uh, we were sitting there, and I asked him about the radio. It was snapping. He goes, no, I just changed batteries. I said, oh, really? And then we smelled something. It smelled like sulfur. Or that's what we thought at that age. We thought it was gunpowder. We kind of, I think we said gunpowder because we didn't know the difference at that age. But it, it was a sulfur smell. And then we saw two lights. They weren't really big lights. They were, they were smaller lights than what you can imagine, like that's on the big triangles. Uh, but we got up and we walked up because this thing was floating real slow between our two streets. And the streets were really close to each other and our backyards uh, bumped up against each other. But we walked up and got a flashlight off his dad's truck. And then he started flashing that flashlight at him. I don't know if that drew him. Or it was we. I was the target, or he was the target. But I believe now I figured I was more of a target for what happened afterwards. We went up in this empty lot, and it was right above my backyard, and we could see this thing about 50 feet up, and it was just sitting there. On the bottom, it was it was kind of really dark, gray and, and black, like it burned its way through the atmosphere, and that's why we smelled that sulfur, which now we know is ozone smell. 
It's a combination of oxygen, nitrogen, and it's a carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide all burning together and creating some sulfur dioxide. I learned a little bit of that from the refinery business and chemistry. So we looked at this thing for a little while. We pinched each other and we said, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And we, and we had to repeat to each other because we were smart enough to know to communicate with each other, make sure we were seeing the same thing. And we were. It was dark in the bottom. It was kind of like one of these little uh, puffy or a little uh, fat-like uh, tops that you would crank with a handle on top of it. Right. It had three layers. The first layer was was kind of bulbous. The second layer was right on top bulbous, but it had it had uh, windows in it and had portals. And on the third, it had like a cap like a thing on top of it. It had two thin things like antennae sticking out of the top. And I thought those were antennae. And I thought back then, I didn't know that. I said, well, they must be communicating some way or another, but we're not getting the frequencies. But we, we stood there for a while and I told my friend, I hope they don't look out those windows. And they didn't. The windows looked like they were kind of frosted, like they could see out, we couldn't see in. And we, we kept standing there and uh, we, we just gazed at this thing. We don't know how much time went by. We thought at about 10.30 when it started. It was, a, it was a early, I guess, summer. It was warm that, that night. And we just, after that 10.30 time, we don't know what happened then. What we remember was we looked at each other. We ran, we ran, we ran to our homes. And I ran in my, in my house. And my mom had the door locked. She was all upset. She said, where have you been all this time? I said, I saw a UFO, Mom. And she says, I'm on a UFO, your butt would get in the house. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a further story to that, Richard. Uh, it, uh, she actually has seen UFOs herself. And she didn't want to talk about it to me. But I'll, I might get that in the rest of the, the conversation as we go. But when I went in the house and I told them I, I, I couldn't sleep, I was actually excited. My other, my other buddy, he went in, into his house, told his dad. His dad said, Go to bed, son. Yeah, okay, you saw a UFO. <laughs> so that's how they approached it as kids. You know, no, right. adults don't believe you. And even to this date, I think uh, a lot of parents wouldn't believe them. But I think now it's a little different. I think the kids uh, are, are more respected than we were at, at the time when I was growing up. But, you know, a good whip and they said all straight, you know, it would straighten us out back then. But today, it's a little different. I think they do things a little bit more intelligently, and they might listen a little more. So this thing was just sitting there. I don't know why. I, I it was. I know it was watching us, observing us. But what did it do after that? I, I'm not really sure. Was there and, any missing time? Do you know for you? Yes. Yes, I believe from 10:30 till about midnight. I think is the time we got we got in our homes. And I, my mom wouldn't really, she didn't really tell me or you know, what time it was. She just knew it was late. And being late would mean it was after 11 o'clock because I was supposed to be home after, just after 11 o'clock. So it must have been close, closer to midnight because she was really upset. And she had to unlock the door and let me in. But uh, I believe there was some wasting time. I had a regression. I asked my buddy all the time, and we get together once in a while still to this day, will mention that incident. And my older brother will always ask me, could you guys tell that story again, man? That was neat. And we tell the same story. The only difference between his, his story and mine, he said he, he heard a hissing sound. I didn't hear a hissing sound. I just, I was so, I guess I was just so emerged in those windows, in those portals. 
because I didn't want them to look out, but I did. You know, as a kid, you didn't know. Back then, we had these movies back in the 50s and, and 60s, had the Martians kill people right. and they attack. Yeah. And um, even my mother. Okay. How, sorry, how, how soon after did you find the implant? That was about three weeks later. Three weeks, somewhere in that area. And uh, the time is not exact because I, I at 14, I didn't keep notes. I went to journalism school, and so I, I learned how to take notes, ask questions, and double-check everything, and, and make sure there's a follow-up fact, just like an invest investigator. They always look for the initial fact, and then they go and they try to find other things that would actually confirm that first fact. Well, it was the, the fact was, the number one fact was, was the UFO itself, and, and we think the, the missing time about an hour or so. But also... I found in my left testicle, three weeks after that incident, I found a lump in my left testicle. And I was, I kind of felt, and I said, what is that? I wonder what that is. And, and I saw a little red line cut in the testicle area. It was a real thin red line. I couldn't figure out what that was. So what I did is I kept pushing this thing out through that red line that was already cut. Well, that's what that hole was made for, but it was really... I guess it didn't really heal all the way because I was able to push it out. There was no blood, uh, anything else to come with it. So I pushed it out. I got it in my hand. It was ash color, kind of a light ash color, and looked like a small Advil tablet. And I, I, as long as the, I held it out, the, the darker it got. It started turning brown. I showed my mom, and she goes, that's an ingrown hair or something. I said, I said no, mom. And she looks at me. She says, what do you mean, no? I said, there was a hole cut for it. See, I was 14, but I knew I, I was able to put that together. And I told her there was a hole cut for it, and I pushed it back out. She said, what the hole look like? I said, I just a real thin red line. She said, you're, you're kidding me, right? I said, no, Mom. I'm telling you the truth. I pushed it back out through that hole. So she said, throw it away anyway. And then she kind of looked concerned. And after, you know, after a few years, she started telling me about things about her family seeing UFOs in their backyard and, and seeing, I guess, dark thin guys walking through their houses and stuff like that. So she had some experiences also, but she didn't want to tell me about them because she didn't want to scare me. Sure. The parent's worst nightmare that's uh, a parent that's been abducted, that it's indeed generational. They don't, that's the last thing they want to happen to their kids. Right. The only other thing I can remember, Richard, from that, uh, an a regressed dream, a lucid dream will come to you when you don't expect it. And it could be several years later. It could be a few months later. But this come to me several years later, and I believe I have it in my ledger. I have a 260-page ledger of a lot of events that have happened. Uh, they're either synchronicities or they're paranormal, paranormal activity in which follows UFOs. And this, I had a dream, a vivid dream, that I was sitting on a metal table. I was real groggy. I was trying to put on a shirt, and the shirt was too small for me. I kept trying and trying. And then I guess all of a sudden, I, I guess they must have helped me. But it was my buddy's shirt. I re, it, it, he was smaller than me. So that's why I was trying on a different shirt. They give us the wrong clothes. So we got straightened out, I guess, and we got back to Wait, it. Sorry, when you say they, they gave you the wrong clothes. Who are you referring to? I felt entities around me. I did not see them. Hmm. I, was, I was real groggy. I was really dumbed down to the point where the room was kind of dark when I, uh, I was looking around. I was so groggy, my head was hanging, 
and I couldn't see, but I felt entities around me, something that was there guiding us or, or telling us what to do. So it, it was apparent that they did something to me in my testicle. And so I, I had that real regressed, that it was just a short regressed dream that told me, okay, that was the age that, that I, was, I was there in that UFO because I was younger and my buddy was a lot smaller. So I put everything together and said, well, that's what happened on that UFO. We were aboard that UFO. And my, my buddy, he doesn't know about that. He, he said it's possible. And he, but he says, I don't remember anything. I said, bingo. I said, that's what they do to us. You know, to people who uh, are going through these experiences, they try to erase your, your memory. But I remember that, but I also had another memory that might have it, it come to me, I guess, several years later, maybe in my 20s, early 30s. I remember this dream, and I can't really tell the date on it. There, there might be something closer in my ledger, but I, I had a dream, a very lucid dream. I was on another planet, and I was in this room with some young guys. I didn't see their faces. And in these particular incidences, you don't you don't ever see faces. This is dimensional stuff. Uh, anytime uh, dimensional being around you, they, they never look at you. They you could just see the size of their head. This is a couple of times that happened to me in Sedona. But when I when I was there uh, in this in this uh, uh, this little room with these these boys, they were boys, but uh, I guess humanoids uh, because they looked human, and we were kind of messing around on on instruments. And I I had a drum set up. And I started playing drums at that age of 14, so that that was part of my my uh, routine is is practicing on uh, instruments. But this this uh, thing didn't look like the drums that I played on. Then we ran outside, we ran down this boarded walkway, and we went down into a yard that looked like kind of a lumber yard. And I sat there on a board. I looked around. I saw two suns, and I saw green trees like evergreens. And I saw water, like a river, beside it. And I was sitting next to a young girl. Must have been around 12, 13, my age. So that's why I think I went back into that, during that time from the first UFO experience. And I looked at this young girl, and I saw other young people playing around in the yard there. And I looked over to my left, and I saw men coming up out of the ground uh, in st on stairs is walking up they had this black stuff on them looked like tar or something that they were mining and they looked over at me when i was sitting there and i i thought okay this is a workplace i asked this girl i said do you believe in god funny question to be asking in a dream right and uh i then she looked at me funny and she looked over my head and then i turned and there's a guy a man in black this was a man in black, actually. He had, he had black clothes and a black hat. Didn't see his face too well. But then I walked. He told me, motion for me to come over. So I went over. While I was going over, I saw two colorful toys in the, in the ground. I picked them up. I thought I picked them up, and I put them in my pocket. I said, this will prove I was here. So I put them in my pocket, which I thought I did. And this this uh, man in black, it was telepathy. He he didn't talk. He just he pointed down this pathway, the boardwalk, and I started walking down that boardwalk. And he he told me I had to go. 
That's that's what the message was tel- uh, telepathically. He said, you got to go. So I went down this boardwalk and I disappear and I come back into my bed. I woke up and I, I thought, wow, what a dream that was. And I thought, well, I'll write it down. And I thought again, I said, no, I won't forget it. Dreams like that, lucid dreams, regressions, you don't forget. And? And did you forget it? <laughs> no, I just told you the story. I <laughs> no, didn't. I thought maybe perhaps you had to have a regression to remember it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. No. So let, let me move ahead. You um, you began to have uh, prescient dreams, though, that were allowing you to predict future events. Tell me about uh, one or two of those. Okay. The other, there was one uh, lucid dream that took me back in time. And then there was one that took me forward in time. And I had those, uh, I guess, way apart from each other. They were One of them was in the 90s, and the other one is in 2001. So the one in the 90s was where my dad worked. It was a flour mill here in a, a small town. Well, not really small here in southern Illinois where I live in Alton. And I worked there with him uh, about 10 years. I was going to school, playing music. And then I'd play music two, three nights a week. I'd work sometimes six days a week, go to school two, three nights a week until I passed out and the doctor told me I needed to slow down. So I, I had to do that. But I had this this real vivid dream. I was in the plant and I knew the plant very well because I worked there. And I saw all these different colored tile and I knew which floor I was on. It was on the fifth floor, roll floor, and they had the brown tile and the lighter tile on the floor. And I, I said, okay, this is where uh, my dad usually comes through. I was looking for my dad. He was working there. I couldn't find him. Went on a couple of floors, could not find him. Then I got on this man lift where you put your hand on a cup and you stand on this step and it's like a big belt and it takes you up and down like an elevator. So I said, okay, I'm giving up. I can't find him. I got on this step. As I was starting to go down, he comes over to me. He, he looks over the, you know, the man lift where I was going down. And the one quick question I asked him, and I'm glad I did. I must have been really thinking really good in this in this regressed, uh, I guess, vivid dream. I asked him what year it was. He looked at me funny, and then all I can hear was six on the end of it. That was 1976 is when I worked there uh, with him. So I went back in time in 1976. My dad passed away in 95. So that tells you I had the dream in, in late uh, 90s. So I had uh, had that uh, memory of him, I guess, put into me. When you, I guess, when you get uh, these implants, or when you get abducted, sometimes it increases your intuition, it increases your third eye, and I, I've I've recognized that quite a bit ever since I've had these experiences. But but yep. uh, tell me about a, a dream, a prescient dream, because so you rem- you remembered something that happened in the past, but to 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 dream about something that hasn't happened yet and then have it happen, that's remarkable. Right. Okay. Here's what happened. This uh, happened on my sighting of a UFO that looked like a glider. It was all metal, looked like fluid. And uh, it was when I was in a refinery as a supervisor. I was up on the 14th floor or 14 decks as we called them. That was about 130 feet up, somewhere like that. But this silver looking thing was coming towards me from the east and I kept looking at it and I called down to the control room. I said, guys, you guys got to take a look at this. And they said, oh no, there's Dave with that UFO stuff again. And they laughed. I said, okay, fine. So I stood there and watched this thing come towards me. It was only probably about 20 feet over my head. So it must've been about 20 feet higher than me. 
And it come towards me. I couldn't see a cockpit. There wasn't a sound. The wingspan was about 15 feet. It had two short wings on the side and one vertical wing in the back. And everything looked like, like it was just fluid metal. There wasn't any screws, bolts, or anything. It turned to the south, and it went to the south, and I kept watching it. And as I watched it, I felt some sort of energy on me, just slightly. I didn't know what it was, but it's uploads and downloads what they do. But I, I kind of thought, okay, this was weird. I told the guys about it, and I didn't think anything of it after that. But then about a few nights later, they, they tossed me a bone. What I mean by that, they give me a treat. They threw me a, a futuristic memory. So I had this regressed dream, which was very vivid, kind of scary since I worked there. And I uh, walked through the, the unit where we, it was called the cat cracker, where they make the gasoline. It's a very dangerous unit. So I walked through and everything was quiet. I got around this big motor. It was quiet. So I said, oh, okay, something's wrong. I ran in the control room. It was all dark and, the, and nobody was in there. And then I stood there and it dawned on me. Something told me while I was standing there, the plant is going to close in a few months. I think six months was, was what they were trying to tell me. So I told the guys the next day about this dream. And they said, you're crazy. They said, they just put $5 million in, in renovating this unit. I said, it's going to close, guys. And they said, when? I said, probably late spring, early summer. And uh, I was correct. It closed. And some of the guys kind of looked at me kind of funny. Like, how did you know this? You know, so it was it was kind of a something they give you, I guess, a treat for maybe them uploading from you and keeping track of you. Sometimes you get that. Uh, I wish I'd get information that would help, you know, come up with some kind of cure for cancer. Or I wish they would give me something like they give to, uh, uh, I guess, Tesla. You know, so and Von Braun, I wish I had I wish I was gifted with some of that knowledge from them. But they just threw me those those little tidbits. More of my conversation with Dave Emmons when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Did you get the tea? I get mine every month delivered to my door. A pouch of fragrant Formula 13 pomegranate cleansing tea from getthetea.com. Two bags of this amazing herbal, non-GMO organic tea are brewed and then placed in the fridge to steep. Two bags make two gallons, and I drink a tall 16-ounce glass every morning. I feel refreshed 
energized and clean from the inside out. Did I mention that all the tea at GetTheTea.com is caffeine-free? Order yours today from GetTheTea.com and discover what everyone is raving about. Use the code word UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. Life Change Tea and Formula 13 Teas. Life Change Tea and Formula 13 Teas are not available in any store. It's time to get on board and get your tea from GetTheTea.com. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No, me either. But I guess you better say it because Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Dave Emmons is here recounting his lifelong UFO and ET experiences. Uh, your first encounter with a small gray. Tell me about that. Okay, that that happened in 96, in 1996, and it was about 1.30 in the morning. I was sleeping. I had to get up early. So did my, well, she's my ex-wife uh, now. This is back in 96. And she kept the room dark, and, it, you know, she'd put covers over the over her drapes. And I saw this shadow going across uh, the dresser, and I called out. I thought it was my daughter. I had my right hand up and I had my my uh, chin cupped in my palm and I looked up and I called out her name several times. She didn't answer. So the shadow come around the side of my bed and it stopped and I got on my left hand and I looked at the shadow and it turned out to be a little gray, about three and a half feet tall. It was gray green actually and actually a lot uglier than what they portrayed on these commercial grays where they're real smooth and, and everything's fine on them. But this one had big wrinkles. I don't know if it was older or what it was, but it had eyes like us. They didn't have, it didn't have the black lenses on them. Apparently they must wear them at certain times. And if the pupils and the irises were like ours, they were dark, but I can see the white pupils and their eyes were about twice. His eyes was about twice our size. He stared at me, and I remember I had fear, and I, I just had fear, and I kind of reared back, and then I all of a sudden I felt peaceful, and then I went out. And when I got up, I didn't keep track of time because I was really, I guess I was scared out of my wits, and then I asked my, my ex-wife, said, did you see or hear anything? She goes, no, go to bed. I went in the bathroom, and I threw water in my face because my eyes were twitching. The eyelids were just moving rapidly. I couldn't stop them, so I threw water on them. I kind of chilled out. And I said, oh, no, this this is happening again, you know, from the first UFO experience I had back in 63. Now it's starting to come back and haunt me more. That's the first thing I thought. But uh, then I I just felt like the, uh, they were doing something to me, taking DNA samples or even semen samples. And they they can do that by your bedside. They don't really need to take you. They can do it right there if that's all they're wanting to do. Why did you, why did you think they were doing that? Did you have scars? No, I had yes, I had scars. I even I got pictures of scars in my photo album on my computer of of scars that I didn't know where they come from, and uh, I had scars. I, I might have had scars at that time. I can't remember. I'd have to look in my ledger to make sure that small little details, but uh, I I didn't. But the, there was follow up visits. There was another a visit a strange visit 
I was laying in bed. This was just shortly after that. It wasn't too far after, probably 98 or 99. I just got a divorce at that time. must have been about 98 or 99. And I was laying there, and my right knee was in the air. And then there was somebody that was holding my right knee that looked like a friend of mine. And I thought, okay, it's a friend. I'm having a dream. But then there was a hose, a little hose or something that went down between my legs. And I tried to tried to kick it like, and I couldn't. I fell out. I think a lot of times they mask. They, they, they can get your memories and mask everything that the people that you know. They can put a face on, on uh, these little grays. They can, they can fool you. They can trick and, and play with your mind. Uh, mind control is what they call it, and they do it very well. And also memory control. So that's why I have the idea, and it happened again in Sedona, where I was laying there in Sedona, and the same thing happened. Uh, this was after I met the hybrid uh, young Japanese lady. And that night in that room in the lodge in Sedona, I remember laying there on the side of the bed where I normally lay uh, near the bathroom. And my knee was in the air and I woke up and I looked and there was somebody with a hose. It was a tan, like a kind of a tan brown hose. And it was poking towards my groin area. And I kicked it away and I kicked, you know, the hose and the, the whoever was holding that thing. I couldn't see him really well. I kicked it away, but then I went out again. They they knock you out if you if you become too restless or, or fighting back and that's how they that's how they take you know were they, they harvesting you, something? Yes, semen. The uh, the hybrid gal told me she had to have a baby. She wasn't married. She well, have, we haven't introduced her yet, really. So let me just uh, let's um, uh, tell me what were the circumstances. So you're in Sedona. This is in what 2010. And you meet this, you describe her as a Japanese, strange young lady. Does she introduce herself to you as, as a hybrid, or how did you find out? No, uh, that's why she's a hybrid. She didn't say she was. I have a, I have a habit of looking at things. When people say they're a hybrid, uh, the government's going to be pounding their door down. So I don't think a hybrid will announce it. I, I, I know that's, that's my thoughts. I don't know how other people think. But this girl, it was... It was uh, it was actually, I was told this by an, an Indian uh, spiritual uh, guide. She had spiritual guides. And my friend told me to go to her. He was a, a ghost uh, book writer. And, he, and we, we got involved in this, uh, this uh, paranormal and UFO organization in Springfield, Illinois. I got to know him. He told me to go to this spiritual uh, gal. She was half Native American Indian. And I went to her and I said, I don't like psychics. She said, I'm not a psychic. Sit down. And then she she raised, she closed her eyes and looked up at me. She said, you have a week back. I said, yeah, I injured my back. And then I said, I'll give you that. You probably saw me hunched over when I come in a little bit. But uh, then she closed her eyes again. She looked at me. She said, you're going on a trip, aren't you? I said, how'd you know? And she said, they told me, my guides. I said, oh, yes. I said, I'm going on a trip in about nine days. And then she said, your car is going to be damaged, but you'll be able to make the rest of the trip and see your friends in New Mexico. I said, you're trying to scare me, aren't you? She said, no, you're going to be fine. She said, your car will just be damaged, but you'll be able to drive it. And then she said the third thing was very, I mean, I don't know how she hit this, but she said on October 4th, she said, I don't know when you're going to go or where are you going to be. And, and she said, you're going to meet your first alien. And I said, really? She goes, yes. 
I said, well, October 4th, I should be in Sedona. She said, that's where you're going to meet your first alien. Well, she was right on, on all three counts. The first count was I had hail damage in Arizona, first uh, tornado they had there in 50 years in 2010. I had a lot of hail damage. I was able to drive the car. And then the other thing is I met this this young uh, Japanese gal. She's probably in her, in her early 30s. I couldn't tell her age too well. I got pictures. I think I sent one to you. Uh, Richard. Yes, you did. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I went down to this, I got there in town and I rested for a couple hours and it was about six o'clock in the evening. I went to this, uh, jewelry shop and I was looking around and they told me they saw a UFO on cathedral rock. I said, okay, I know where it's at. So I drove up to it and I pulled in, I started videoing and then in parks behind me in a, in a, a small car, a car area behind me, she walks out she comes up to me with her hands kind of folded and she was smiling, looking at me like a little puppy. And I thought, okay. So I filmed her a little bit and I told her I was looking for UFOs as I was filming her. And she just looked at me and smiled. Apparently she learned how to smile. Uh, that's one of the things they teach him first, I guess. But I asked her, I said, are you going on a, on a hike trail, a hiking trail? She goes, no. And I said, are you waiting for somebody? She said, no. She said, we were supposed to meet. I said, we were supposed to meet? She goes, yes, we're supposed to meet. And I said, wow. I said, I don't know you. I said, who are you? And then she told me my name's Hiroko. I said, well, I'm Dave. Hi. It started raining. So we got in my car. And after we got in the car, there was another car that pulled up just the parking space over from me. And this was kind of a mysterious uh, young guy. He must have been in his late 20s, had close cropped hair, and he had a headset on. He kind of looked like CIA or FBI type person. He didn't look at me. He did not turn his head one time and look look at me. And I looked over at him all the time because I was curious about what was going on. I asked her, I said, do you know this guy? And she goes, she shook her head, no. And I said, I said something's just not right here. And I said, uh, you're not up to anything, are you? She goes, no. And then her eyes were so piercing and they were dark. And when she, she kind of like put energy on me and dumb me down a little bit because I'm a combat veteran. I would have seen this as a setup to, you know, to really tell you it's straight up. If I was, if I was thinking straight in which I wasn't, I would have taken this as a setup and I would have, I had a, I had a gun in my console and I had a license to carry it. So I was, I thought to myself, well, I looked at the console. She looked at me and looked at the console. Like she knew what was in that console because the guy drove up the second time. He left and then come back. He didn't look over. Never did he look over. She kind of acted kind of squeamish. And I said, okay. And I turned and looked at her and she, she seemed like she shrank in the, in the seat. And I, I tell you what, I didn't think about it until later, but she shrank down real small and her eyes got bigger. Like she was a little gray, like she was kind of coming in and out of shape shifting or something. I don't know what do you, a hybrid shape shifter, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not sure right. where this is all coming from. How long did you hang out with her? I, about almost two hours. And, uh, she asked most of the questions. She asked me, how would I do this in case I had an argument with somebody in a, in a, where she worked. And I said, I'd just talk to him about it. You couldn't get any peace out of it. I said, just stay clear because on your job, you can lose your job if you cause trouble. And then she started whimpering. And she said that her mom and dad treated her mean. I put my hand on top of hers. Her hand was so hot, Richard. 
it was above fever pitch, and I pulled my hand off of that, uh, off of her hand, and and I said, "Is there something wrong with you?" She looked at me, no. I said, "It's cool outside." You're you're a woman. I said, usually you would think that you'd be really cool. She had a real thin white sweater on, and she had a tank top, and she had blue jeans that had mud on it, on her her blue jeans. She wore no jewelry, no makeup. She didn't have a cell phone. She didn't have a watch. And this this was just totally strange. I I didn't I never ran into anybody like that, especially a young lady that didn't have. So she she was trying to learn from you to be more human. Is that the idea? Right. How to pass? Uh, how to pass in human company? Right. If you if you know that Doctor David Jacobs, his books. Yes. He said he says I read those books after I met her to try to make sense out of what was going on. Uh, I read the book They Walk Amongst Us. I read that book, and there he talked about that the, these uh, hybrids have to have a security person who follows them around closely. Well, check that one. That's that young guy. Uh, then they have to have a sponsor. I think I met the sponsor uh, the next day on Airport uh, uh, Mountain, or they call it Airport Mount, uh, Airport Rock or something. It, it overlooks the city. And there was an older Japanese guy who walked in front of us as we were standing there looking over the city. And he looked at me kind of strange. I felt like there was some kind of a connection with her and him. I looked at her as he walked by and I said, why didn't you say hello to him? He's from Japan. And she goes, we don't do that. We, we, uh, that's not our culture to do that. I said, why not? I said, I said, I didn't even see you nod your head and smile to him. And then I guess she suspected that I was watching every move that was going on. And I was, I was really alerted because after that night of talking to her, she couldn't read English, but she said she can, uh, she speaks 20 languages. And, uh, she went and visited, uh, I guess white sands, New Mexico one yes. time. Mm -hmm. And she went there just to look at the sand. I said, what, by yourself? She goes, yes. I said, that's unusual for a young lady to go just want to look at the sand. I said, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not gender bending here. It's just that, it, you know, it's unusual that she right. would go look at the sand. How did it end? Uh, I mean, how much longer did you see her? Was it just that one, those two occasions? No, that night we left after two hours. She went, she went to her place where she was staying. I went to my lodge. And the next day I asked her if we can meet for breakfast. Uh, and she goes, yeah, we can meet. And I told her where where it was at on the main strip there. So she she said, yes, I'll, I'll be there. And uh, the next morning, she was there about 10 minutes late, but I knew she was going to come. There was some kind of a thought in my mind. I stood there in the parking lot waiting. I knew she was going to come. I guess there was some, some message that I was going by. She pulls in, and I asked her, I said, did you check out? You're leaving today, right? She goes, yes. I said, you have a credit card? She goes, yes. And I said, I looked at her, and I said, I doubt if she did. And I said, "How did you check out? Did you tell them, or they sometimes charge you extra on your room if you do if you do things?" She so I said, "Here, here's the number. Use my cell phone." She called, and and I guess she said, "Okay, everything's okay." I said, "Fine." She didn't know, she didn't really know the uh, I guess the ins and outs of credit cards and motel rooms. Right. So, so how did know. it end? It ended. We went out looking at the buttes, and uh, we. Uh, I took her hand and I prayed for her because she said she has some bad things going on. And I prayed for her and she just stood there and looked at me. And then she felt the wind or the sound of the wind. She raised her hands up. She said, this is beautiful, isn't it? It's like she'd never seen that type of thing before. I said, yes, it is, Hiroko. So we went back 
to the uh, we went to a cafe we had something to eat real quick and she pulls out this little canvas bag it was kind of tubular and it looked like it had been through war or whatever but she, that's what she had on her that day and then she went into the bathroom i don't know if she eats food and then goes in the bathroom and and coughs it up uh, i don't know what's going on with that but she kept staring at me with her real sh- strong eyes i mean eyes i had to turn my head and I said, quit staring at me, uh, Hiroko. She said, I like you. And I said, why do you like me? And she said, because we were supposed to meet. I said, I still can't figure out why we were supposed to meet. She said, we just are. And I said, okay. And then she told me she had to have a baby. Uh, and uh, she had to have one soon. And I said, you're not married. I said, uh, are you going to have one with your boyfriend? She goes, I don't know. He's mean sometimes. Then she was trying to elicit some emotional training from me, I guess, from that. So that's where I stopped on that. But we left. Uh, she took off one way, and I went back to my my lodge room getting ready to, to leave myself that evening. And uh, that was the last I saw of her then. That was on October 5th. It was around uh, 2.30, 3 o'clock, October 5th, uh, we departed. And uh, six months later, March 17th, 2011, her and two young boys, they were 15, 17, somewhere, two of them. One was taller. They were both actually a little taller than, than the average uh, Japanese. And my cousin was with me sitting on the porch. This is the second fact that I'm, that I'm talking about, Richard, that things come up. And you can actually prove it to yourself that this, this gal, Hiroko, she was actually some kind of a thought in my mind that she was weird and she was from somewhere else. But she proved it by coming to my house in Godfrey, Illinois, from Sedona to Godfrey, wherever she she went back to. Did she know where you lived? Did you tell her where you were from? How did she track you down? Well, I gave her a card with my name and my email because she wanted my email because she wanted the pictures that I took. She wanted all the pictures. For some reason, she was very – she would say, send me those on that, that email that you have. And I said, okay. Uh, I sent them to her. And then after she got all the pictures, she didn't write anymore. And when she did write, it's it looked like to me there was three different people writing. They used different fonts. They misspelled words in different ways. It looked like to me somebody else was handling her situation. Hmm. But she wanted the pictures. And I think I'm a little afraid to actually say this, but I believe those two young guys were part of me. And I believe that she was looking for another baby that, that she can – be part of them and make that into a hybrid that's that's what i was told by a couple of people because wait a minute wait a minute you they were you're saying that those two young men that came to your house in illinois with hiroko uh were your progeny uh and that at some point in the past you had a baby with her uh as part of this alien human hybrid program right that, um, that's what I'm saying. I had a couple other people tell me that. I had another real weird incident at the Arkansas convention. I'll go back to this, this story with my cousin and I real quick. But I got to explain that this woman, she was, a, she, she was a spiritual reader herself. I walked past her, and she tried to motion for me to come over to her booth. I said, no, I don't want a psychic reading. She said, I'm not going to give you a psychic reading. She said, you got energy around you. She said, a lot of it. She said, come here. She said, have you been abducted? I said, yes. And she says, she says, okay. She said, do you know of any offspring that you have? I said, not really. 
And she said, but I can, I said, I could t- I'll tell you about the gal that I met. And she said, you don't have to, I'll tell you what she looks like. She c- actually come out and told me she never saw a picture or nothing. She told me what she looked like. She said, she's got a chin like you. She's got cheeks like you. And I said, really? I said, yes, she does have a different kind of a bone structure. And I said, then a, a pure Japanese. She said, believe me, those are your kids. And I said, wow, it's strange that you come out and say that. And she didn't even know. But then going back to the porch in, in March 17th, it was about 1.30 in the afternoon. The cousin and I was sitting there smoking cigars, something I don't do anymore now. But uh, she stopped about halfway where I couldn't see her face. She turned backwards, uh, you know, to the house. And the two young guys continued walking up. And I noticed it was her. Her arms were wrapped uh, around her front, and she had another. She had a white sweater, and she had blue jeans, same clothes. And these two young guys walked up. They were dressed like typical young young teenagers. They walked up to us, and my my cousin said, "Who are these Chinese?" He said, "She." He said, "Do you know them?" I said, "No, they're not Chinese or Japanese." And he said, "Do you know them?" I said, "See that one down there, the lady." I said, "I think I know her." Well, these two walked up and they, they looked at us. They asked one question. They said, where's the new Walmart at? And I thought that was a strange question since they were standing near a two-lane highway there and they didn't have a car. They didn't have any vehicle. And I looked, I pointed over the viaduct over there and that was the last words I got out of my mouth. I was dumbed down. I wanted to ask them if that was Hiroko. And my cousin was quiet, and usually he's really chatty. He asks people all kinds of questions. He's really, he can be kind of a smart butt sometimes, and he didn't say a word. They dumbed him down so much, I kind of glanced over at him, and he was just staring straight ahead, and he wasn't looking anywhere. He was just totally dumbed down, and I was too because I couldn't ask a question. I wanted to get it out of my mouth. Who was that lady? And they knew I was wanting to ask that question, but I was sitting there, and Apparently, this, the, the taller one, the older one, went in my house and got a brown attache case. He was fumbling through it in front of me, in the front yard, looking at me about 10 feet away. He kind of looked at me kind of strange and looked at the notes. Those were my UFO notes. And then he, he uh, looked at them. He put, put, them back, he put the, the, the lid back together. And then he must have took them back in the house without me even knowing it. He went past me just only two or three feet past me into my house and then back out with that brown attache case. And my, they started walking away after that, but they kept kind of looking at me kind of weird, like, like I knew them and like they knew me. Was that the last time you saw them? Yes. Yes. And how did, how did she find you? She, I don't know how, Richard. All I know is that she pulled up behind me real fast like she was on a mission. She knew exactly who I was, and she was, I was her target. And so, I, you know, I don't know. She told me, she said, we were supposed to meet. That's what she kept telling me. And she told me she had to have a baby. So, she walked, they walked up to her, and then my cousin started coming too. He said, what just happened? I said, they're walking up there still. And they walked up to the stop sign. My cousin said, this is weird. He said, what happened? I said, I'll tell you. Let's just keep an eye on these people. They walked up to the stop sign, and they disappeared. And we just turned our heads slightly, said something to each other. They were gone. They didn't walk down the road or up the road. They just disappeared, all three of them. My and my cousin, Yeah, my cousin was so afraid. 
he he's a skeptic. I mean, he's about as he's about as shallow as a dry creek bed when it comes to paranormal <laughs> stuff. You know, and that that time he, he doesn't. But he did see a Bigfoot, and it scared him to death. But Dave, he, we're just about out of time here. But okay. w- what is behind this alien hybrid program? Are they trying to take over? I think what they're doing initially is to make make a, a better, I guess, race of humans, and uh, that's their initial plan. But I I don't see the long range plan. I can only feel the initial planning is to is to integrate with us, uh, you know, mess with their DNA, uh, and make hybrids out of us, so as they can probably take over someday. That could be sometime in the next fifty years or whatever. But uh, they're they're starting this hybrid. Well, they didn't start it. It's been I guess going on fifty years probably. But uh, this hybrid program is to create a better human race. Number one, smarter, more peaceful. No, not warlike. And then number two, eventually just take over the planet. Uh, that's, but that eventuality of taking over the planet, I, I just can't vision. But I can vision them improving our race, DNA manipulation, just like they did thousands of years ago. And uh, now are you able to, I mean, do you spot hybrids, um, uh, you know, on a, on a weekly basis? Or do you, are you able to spot them now? Yes, I can. Uh, I, I can. I can see energy, different types of energy. My wife even says that. She says I'm loaded with electricity. Well, one of my, well, several of my abductions were, were highly charged electrical charges that just made all kinds of noises and snapped me, and put me out, put me paralyzed. But I was able to see with my eyes and stuff. That's that's another whole story. You won't have time for that. But there's several of those. But I think with all the contacts that I've had, Richard. I, I believe that I was left with with an intuition that was stronger. I, I can visualize people, strange people, and uh, their energies. Uh, there was a real, real quick story. There was a guy who come in uh, at uh, Cabela's. I was looking for tra- uh, traveling charts to go out west and some new ones. I was on this round rack, and I was looking at him. And the guy walks in. He's about 6'3", uh, close-cropped hair, same as an FBI or, or CIA he walks in on about $500 suit. He gets on the other side of the rack and he stands there and he stares at me. Now, I would, here again, if if the energy wasn't hitting me, I would have thought to myself, what are you staring at? Are you, are you an officer? Are you trying to arrest me for something? I would have said that. That's the type of person I am. But I was just dumbed down where I just looked at him. He stared at me for two minutes. And, and I said, my God, I threw the shards in a cart and I looked at him. He's still staring at me. And he wasn't looking at clothes. I mean, he wouldn't be looking at those charts anyway, not with that big suit he had on. But then he, he walked away. And when he did, I ran real quick to follow where he went down the aisle. He was gone. He disappeared. It's a remarkable story, Dave. You, as I say, have lived quite a remarkable life. Any plans to put these pictures uh, in a book or to uh, to write your story? Uh, yes, I, I've been talking to some uh, people who make documentaries. I'd like to make a, a documentary out of the, the hybrid story, uh, my abductions and the five craft that I saw. I had I actually had witnesses on on three of the craft that I saw, but I, uh, my mom and two brothers saw the the huge triangle that come over our neighborhood right over my head. It was treetop level, fifty feet up, huge. It covered nine houses, and it, this was uh, this was in April. It was April 9th. Uh, 2011. It was only two weeks or so after running into Heroku at my house. So all this happened all in a a two-year time. Well, uh, I look forward to that book or documentary. 
Thank you so much, Dave. It's been a real uh, pleasure. Thank you, Richard. Thank you very much. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a few moments to share a few details of an upcoming episode. I just published the February edition of my new monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. If you missed out, no problem. All you need to do is go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, and register. Just enter your name and email address, and you'll start receiving Inner Sanctum every month for free, starting in February. And once you register, your name automatically goes into the monthly draw for free Strange Planet merch. It's so simple. Just go to strangeplanet.ca, enter your name and email address. The Inner Sanctum, yours, absolutely free. Register today at strangeplanet.ca. Coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited, UFO researcher Kevin Randall discusses an encounter in the desert, the case for alien contact at Socorro, New Mexico. According to everything in the files, Zamora was chasing a speeder in Socorro and heard a roar off in the distance and he thought a dynamite check that was on the edge of town had blown up so he broke off the pursuit of the speeder and he went over in that direction and came up over a hill and looking down in an arroyo he saw what he thought was an overturned car and he drove down close to it got out of the police car walked even down closer to it got fairly close to it and noticed two and he used a, a various terms i think he said people once according to one of the transcripts in the blue book files but he mostly called them things Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.